invite you to open up to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 this morning. I'm going to try and give you this morning three weeks worth of a study. Some of you look like deer that have been caught in the headlights. I'm kidding. It won't be three weeks worth. But there are some very important things to hear this morning as we reconsider the idea of remembering the Sabbath. But before we do that, would you just repeat after me, commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Alright, number two, you shall not make for yourself an idol. And number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Let's say that one together one more time. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Well, last week we began looking at this command and it opened up a serious can of worms. I thought the week before was tough with, with not taking the Lord's name in vain and my father-in-law asking his holy moly okay and all of that. There were a lot of questions raised by that. Last week raised more questions and they were immediate upon the service being over. Questions like, can I golf on the Sabbath? Is it okay to do homework on the Sabbath? Yeah, yeah you know why that question was asked. Can I go fishing on the Sabbath? <laughs> what can I do on the Sabbath? And what amazed me is how quickly we went straight to legalism with this command. This is what man does. We take something wonderful, beautiful, powerful God hands us and we turn it into rules as quickly as possible. And oftentimes it's with the right heart. We really do want to please God. And when we come across something we've never seen before and we think, oh wow, I really should give him a whole day a week. Suddenly we start thinking, well what does that mean? How does that work? I've got to figure this out. There's a lot to this Sabbath thing. Do I need to just go home and sit in deep prayer and meditation with my Bible all day long until I go to bed that night? Is that what it's really about? I don't understand. And the questions just flew this week. There are some questions I can't even repeat to you that were asked. If you want to know, see me privately. I'll let you know. But Kathy would kill me if I said it for nothing. Did I say that out loud? Does the Sabbath day and remembering it really mean that we have to assign a specific day to doing nothing? And if so, how do, and this is I think one of the most important questions that I heard, how do I keep the Sabbath day from becoming a have to instead of a want to? How do we do that? And the Lord has a word for us this morning. Psalm 46.10, He says, Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Cease striving and know that I am God. And, and I say, but Lord, we want application. <laughs> we know you're God, but when you say these things, we want to apply them and act on them and know what to do. And there's good news. I believe the Lord has provided application for us. But as is often the case with Scripture, He doesn't just do it in one space with one sentence. That's what we would like. We'd like, Lord, just tell it to me once, 
And, and then I'll, I'll be fine with it. And that's not true. God wants to invest it into our hearts. He wants us to digest His Word. And so He gives us application throughout the Bible and not just in one particular place. He introduces the Sabbath in Exodus 20. He explains the Sabbath between the book of Exodus and the book of Revelation. The rest of Scripture will bring this idea, this concept, this principle of Sabbath to light for us. And even this morning with the things we're going to cover, we do not have time to plumb the depths of the Sabbath day and what it truly means. But we're going to try. The answer to this question of how do I handle the Sabbath is best answered with a question, what does the Lord really want for and of His people? Let's pray and we're going to get into this. Father in heaven, I pray for grace this morning for our ears and our hearts, that they would be open, that we would have rapt attention. Father, not, not to my words, but to your word. That you would solve some of the issue for us and, and these questions that we've raised and our concerns about how do we keep these commands and are we supposed to as people under grace. Father, I pray that you would help us to cease striving and to know that you are God. Give us ears to hear. As Jesus said so often, he who has ears, let him hear. We want to hear today, Father. And not be, not be confused or, or dissuaded by other things, but just to settle down this morning in the sweetness of Sabbath and hear from you, Lord, on this important principle. Holy Spirit, teach us today. We pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Again, Exodus 20, verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. Yeah, your cattle. Who's going to tell that bull out there not to do work on the Sabbath? Not me. I'm telling you. Verse 11, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and He made it holy. This command couldn't have come at a tougher time in my life. I almost said it couldn't have come at a worse time, but actually it couldn't have come at a better time. But it's a tough time right now because it is so busy. I honestly think, and Cheryl tracked me on this, that we've got more plates spinning in our family. You know when I say spinning plates, what that means. I mean, have you seen the old Ed Sullivan show, Plate Spinners? Have you ever seen that? Some of the younger, younger people may not have seen it, where these guys would come up, up on the stage, and they take a stick, and they take a, a dinner plate, and they get it spinning on that stick. And it starts spinning, and they step back, and it still be spinning, and people go, oh, that's incredible. And then you take another stick and start this plate spinning, and then you come back to this one and keep it spinning, and then you go over here and spin this one. And then you get a third stick and begin spinning and spinning and spinning, and now he's doing three, and then four. And it was just amazing to watch these guys run back and forth spinning plates. Obviously, these guys had a lot of time on their hands. <laughs> but we have taken it to mean spinning plates, but I've got a lot going on, and if I get too much going on, one of those plates is coming down. One of those things is going to crash, and I'm just being honest, and I'm not looking for sympathy here, so please don't give it. I'm at that place where right now there are so many plates spinning, and I come to remember the Sabbath day, and I go, Lord, I don't have time. I don't have time. There is too much going on. We've got a church happening. We've got a house to build. We've got a family to take care of and kids in school. And we're doing all these things. I don't have time to remember the Sabbath. And I was frustrated about this. Thursday, I tried to study. I'm looking and reading. I can't find application for this because there's too much going on. 
Friday morning I sat down again. I'm studying some more. And Cheryl was on the phone with Maytag. Not that Maytag's a bad thing. But we sent away for a rebate. We went and bought all the appliances for our house through Maytag at the Home Depot because they had this huge rebate thing where we get two, three hundred bucks back if we bought it on a certain day. So we bought it on that day. Well, it turns out we bought them on January 8th. The rebate ended on January 5th and the new one began on January 15th. Yeah. The games they play. And so she's on the phone talking to them going, look, we're going to get our rebate or we're going to take all those back. You know, we're just, she's talking and she's going back and forth at the hall talking to them. And I'm sitting there going, remember the Sabbath? <laughs> and I finally said to Cheryl, I can't do this. How can I study something like the Sabbath day, which is about rest and peace in the Lord, and all this tension is going on? And I can hear it in her voice. She's talking, and she did a great job, by the way. It was, you know, we worked it out. But I finally came in and I said, Cheryl, I just—it's too hard right now. How do I talk about the Sabbath? And she said, I don't think the Sabbath is about when life is easy. I think it's about when life is hard. And I sat back down. And the Lord tapped me on the shoulder and said, She's right. You need this right now. And so I went back to the drawing board and I took everything that I had studied so far, all the notes, and just deleted and started over. Gang, when the weight of the world is on your shoulders, Jesus says, Matthew eleven twenty nine, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When the worries of the world are multiplying around you, Jesus says, John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. I don't give you peace like you get in the world. I give you my peace. And when the work seems far from finished, and you're spending so many plates you could open a restaurant, Jesus says, Mark 6.31, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while. Rest. And my friends, what's interesting about this command of the Sabbath is it's right into the middle of a weary people that God sends the message of rest. Remember, Israel had been 400 years in slavery. And then several months of running from their taskmaster, thirsty, hungry, fearful, worrisome. And God plops Israel down in front of the mountain to make them a people. And in the fourth command, he comes right around and says, Now, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. You've got your work to do and you've got six days to do it and that's great. But stop and rest. Last week I gave you three points for our study outline and we only got to two of them. The distinction of the day and the conviction of the day. I want to continue on right now with the third study point and that is liberation. Liberation. The Sabbath is a day of liberation. Again, the Sabbath was distinguished as a day very early on by the Father in that the Sabbath was founded in creation. It was founded in creation. Exodus 20 verse 11 tells us again, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Sabbath was founded in creation. On day seven of creation, God already, right back at the very beginning, made it a day of distinction. Before ever commanding it be followed, He started out the world with a day of rest. 
But the idea of Sabbath does not just commemorate creation. The Sabbath was not only founded in creation, it was also grounded in redemption. In redemption. Flip in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 5. A few books over to the right. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Sometimes if you're not quite sure what something means in the Bible the first time it's talked about, go to the next time it's talked about and see if maybe there's more elucidation. See if maybe there's more in there that God is expressing and explaining. And He does this in Deuteronomy chapter 5 as the Ten Commandments are repeated. And down in verse 12, he comes to the fourth command and he says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God, and in it you shall not do any work. You or your son, or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your ox, or your donkey, or any of your cattle, or your sojourner who stays with you, so that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Verse 15, watch this, it's new. You shall shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, and anytime there's a therefore in scripture, you ought to go back and see what it's there for. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Why? Why did you command us to observe the Sabbath day? Because you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. And you may remember back in the fall when we first started studying Exodus, there was a key word that we saw. The key word that is the word that defines the entire book of Exodus. It's the word redemption. At that time I gave an example. That if we were to take a stethoscope and place it on the heart of God, what we would hear beating would most likely be redemption, redemption, redemption. Because that is God's heart. And though God started off the Sabbath day as a day to be commemorated as a day, day seven of creation, and it's about creation to a degree, even more so God says the Sabbath is a day that is grounded in redemption. What do I do on this special day? You think about how you have been saved. You pause for a moment and consider what the Lord has done for you in your life. How you have received redemption. And the redemption of Israel from Egypt and this whole story of Exodus, it previews the redemption of mankind. And redemption, my friends, is liberation. Being bought out of the mess, being bought out of our own bad choices, out of our own slavery to sin, God reaches in and says, I want you back. And therefore, I will do everything. I will pay the highest price to redeem you and pull you out. That's liberation. Redemption. By the way, uh, side note on this, liberation in Christ is not the same thing as independence. Our liberation day in the Sabbath is not our independence day. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you have been bought with a price. You've been purchased by Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18, Peter says, You were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. And I say that just to share, there is a spirit of independence in the Northwest that I believe needs to be broken. A spirit of, of independence even among Christians. 
who say, I don't really need other Christians. I don't really need to be involved with a church or to fellowship anywhere. I don't really need anything. It can just be me and God out taking a walk on Sunday. But liberation does not mean independence, my friends. For if you try to get out there and walk it by yourself, the Lord knows you are much more likely to fall. It's funny that even in our pursuit of personal independence, how quickly we race back to slavery. Again with the questions, can I golf? Can I work? Can I repair the fence post on the Sabbath? Can I work in my garden? Can I, can I, can I? And God's saying, wait, wait, wait. Let's not turn it all into law. These are the questions, by the way, of slaves, not of children. We have to hold our kids back from doing what they, what they you know, are going to do that day. They're out just cruising around being kids. And I think God would like a little more of that in, in our hearts as opposed to, is this okay? Is this okay? Can I do this? And if you're walking in the Lord, you're not going to be asking those questions. Which is why, by the way, I believe the Hebrew writer says there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest, Hebrews 4, 9, and 10, the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. You see, the Sabbath day was distinguished for Israel because the Lord knew if He didn't set it apart, they would head right back in to slavery. And the Sabbath day is about redemptive liberation. So, just a clue here, a hint, don't set apart this day by immediately applying human standards to it. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other. Because while we're so quickly focused on the physical, Jesus is focused on the spiritual. He's calling on our hearts. He's saying... Take your rest in me. Now turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. And we'll pray that the barn stands. That wind blowing. Boy. Matthew chapter 12. I want you to hear from Jesus on this. And this is the heart of what we're going to talk about right now. Because a story happened to Jesus involving the Pharisees and involving the Sabbath. Where when he begins to teach and explain and talk about these things... We get a whole new perspective of what it's really all about. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And they're wrong. They're wrong. The Pharisees are completely out to lunch on this one. What does the law actually tell us? Well, back in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25, it tells us when you enter your neighbor's standing grain, then you may pluck the heads with your hand. But you shall not wield a sickle in your neighbor's standing grain. In other words, man, if you're walking through a, a wheat field of your neighbor and you're hungry, help yourself. God, back in the Old Testament law, gives the principle of sharing. Hey, it's not your field in the first place, it's mine. So if your neighbor wanders through your field and he's hungry, he can pluck a little bit of grain and eat. That's not a problem, no big deal. Just don't take your sickle in there and start harvesting your neighbor's grain, that's theft. But it's sharing just to do exactly what Jesus and the disciples are doing. They're hungry, they're wandering through a wheat field and they begin to pluck the heads of grain. Well, the Pharisees, again, they are absolutely freaking out. Because they have piled up law upon law upon law, so much so that their own laws are in contradiction with God's perfect law. Instead of trusting Him, you see, God's law is complex. There's much to the Old Testament laws we will see over the next several weeks. 
There's a lot to this law. However, God's law is perfect. You will find no contradiction within it. It's only when man takes God's law and begins to add things to it that it gets confusing and that, well, if I can do that, but I can't do that, and this says, and we, and we find that we're lost in it. That's what the Pharisees did. That's what Judaism has done over the last couple of thousand years, well, much longer than that, since the law was given. Piling law upon law upon law. Precept upon precept, more and more, until there's so much piled up, who could possibly come to know the Lord? But God's law is perfect. Now listen to Jesus' teaching on this matter in verse 3, Matthew chapter 12. But Jesus said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions? How he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone. Now stop for a second. What Jesus is doing here as he responds to the Pharisees is he begins to give some examples of what the Sabbath is really about and how man is supposed to approach law. And there are three principles here worth jotting down as we look at this. Jesus starts out with the first illustration. The first being David in the days before he became king. The story is found in 1 Samuel 21. I'll just tell it to you quickly. David is on the run. This is David prior to being king, but after he killed Goliath. But he's on the run because King Saul is in a murderous rage. And so David comes to the city of Nob, the city of priests. And it's thought, well, it's it's indicated by scripture that that's where the tabernacle was resting at the time. At the city of Nob. And apparently, since the tabernacle was there, if you go into the tabernacle, we talked about this on Wednesday, you get into the holy place and there's a table in there called the table of showbread. And on the table of showbread, you would have seen stacked up 12 loaves of bread. Well, David comes to the priests of Nob. He comes to the tabernacle. Now, David is not a priest. He's not consecrated as a priest. And there's no food anywhere. And he and his men are starving. And he goes to the priest and says, Hey, we need some food. Can we have some of the bread? And he talks the priest into it. He brings out the bread and David eats it. And what's really interesting is if you read 1 Samuel 21, you get no idea of how God feels about that. About that violation. That David ate consecrated bread he was not supposed to eat. You look at the chapter, there's nothing there. The God, God was upset with, with David over this. God was frustrated with nothing. So you say, well, what in the world's going on here? Does it bother the Lord or not? Well, we find out in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus indicates something incredibly important. You might jot this down. He indicates that life outweighs law. Life outweighs law. David's action showed and Jesus confirms that the technicality of the law was not more important than the preservation of human life. And by the way, this principle alone would solve the whole problem with Terry Schiavo. If we could understand that life outweighs law. As even Congress now is involved, they're all trying to mess with the law to get a feeding tube back in her. If we could elevate human life, whatever it looks like, human life and breath, if we could say, hey, human life is more important than any of our little disagreements or petty discussions or legalistic points of view, then Terry Schiavo would still be, well, she is alive right now, she'd still be on the feeding tube. We need the word. Life outweighs law. Well, verse 5, Jesus gives another example. He says, Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? That's interesting to me. I never thought about that before. The priests have to serve in the temple 24-7, which includes the Sabbath day. Which means on the Sabbath day, while all of Israel is resting, the priests are working. 
and violating God's own law, and yet Jesus says, absolutely innocent. Why is that? What's the point, Jesus? Point number two. Faith outweighs formality. Faith outweighs formality. Faith in the Lord is always the higher principle than the formality of following these things. Life outweighs law. Faith outweighs formality. Because the technicality of the law is not more important than the faithfulness of a servant of God. Therefore, the priests, though they work on the Sabbath, are innocent. Faith outweighs formality. Verse 6. Going on, Jesus gives a third example. He says, But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. Whoa. And let that settle for a second. I say to you something greater than the temple is right here. And he says in verse 7, But if you had known what this means, quote, I I desire compassion and not a sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. Jesus is recalling for them the words of the prophet Hosea in Hosea 6, 6, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice. And so he gives this third example. He says, something greater than the law is here. Something greater than the law. What is that, Jesus? What is greater than the law? Verse 8, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Gang, life outweighs law, faith outweighs formality, and Christ outweighs them all. He is above all, the Bible tells us, and in all and through all. Jesus is the prime one, above everything else, and certainly above the law. But the Pharisees completely missed this. They didn't know who they were dealing with here. They were so focused on keeping law, they missed Jesus. And that's what we're in danger of doing with the Sabbath day. Well, we can keep the day, the one day a week, and Mom and, Mom and I were talking about this earlier this week, that you know, we can focus on keeping this day, and it is important, and we do need to learn to stop. And the days are gone, and it's sorrowful, by the way, that the days are gone when, when business is shut down on, on the Sundays and people can just have a day of rest. I wish that it was that way today. But even if we're able to focus on that day, and it's an important day, when the day becomes the issue, we have lost the point that the issue has never been the day, it has always been the Lord. The focus is Jesus. Christ outweighs them all. He is the greater than. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He alone has the right and the authority to say what is and what is not acceptable. And clearly what matters most to Jesus, as we see in this example, is liberation. It's the freedom we receive in Christ. Now, Jesus is going to go on and give a precious example of what matters to the liberating, redemptive heart of God. And he's going to do it by practical application. Watch what he does. Verse 9. Departing from there, he went into their synagogue. And a man was there whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? See where their hearts are? The man didn't matter a lick to them. They didn't care if his hand was shriveled up. They just wanted to see what Jesus would do. They wanted to try and catch him doing some work on the Sabbath. In verse 11, he said to them, What man is there among you who has a sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Now right here, and Matthew doesn't tell us this, but in other, other uh, Gospels we're told that Jesus stops right there, looks around at all the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, and he is angry. He's angry. He's frustrated with them. 
he asks the question, is it not lawful to do good on the Sabbath? And he's met with stone cold silence. And it tells us at that moment the heart of God is angered. Jesus looks around and if I could put words to it, I can't even believe that you guys would put this guy's withered hand as a way of trying to catch me. I can't even believe that you would use him and that you would take this whole idea of Sabbath is so important that even a human life, even restoring someone, doesn't matter as long as we're keeping law. I can't believe this. And the Bible tells us, he said to the man, verse 13, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and it was restored to normal like the other. The Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. They were so wrapped up in law, they didn't even see the miracle. They just wanted to see how they could destroy Jesus. Verse 15 says, But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed him, and, I love this, he healed them all. That's God's heart. And he warned them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. Behold my servant whom I have chosen. My beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. And he will not quarrel nor cry out. Nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off. And a smoldering wick he will not put out. Watch this. Until he leads justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. The Sabbath, my friends, and the keeping of the Sabbath is not about making life more legal or faith more formal. It's about finding our life and our faith in Christ Jesus. Mark chapter 2 verse 27 again says, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. It was made for man as a gift from God. Why? For liberation. That the redeemed man might, re- might return to a right relationship with the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is calling us to rest. Man, from day one, he has been trying to woo us, to court us, back to the garden. Back to that peaceful, restful, wonderful relationship that Adam and Eve had before sin came in and work followed heavily after. Sabbath. But there's a word in verse 20 that I want you to see. It's one that would be easy to miss. Matthew quotes the prophet Isaiah. And we see it both here in Matthew 12 and also in Isaiah 42 verse 4. And it's the word until. Until. Verse 20, a battered reed he will not break off and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. In other words, the Sabbath day is not only a day of distinction, a day of conviction, a day of liberation, but there's one more. It points to something else, to a day yet to come. The Sabbath day points to not just the past and the present, but the future, to the seventh day in the course of human history. Number four in our notes, including last week, the Sabbath is our destination. It's our destination. It's where we are going. And I want you to see this last passage this morning, Isaiah chapter 30. Flip over to Isaiah 30. It's about in the middle of your Bibles. Turn there quickly and let's read this together. Isaiah chapter 30. This is so important, gang. And so powerful that God's plan from the very beginning has worked its way out and is still working its way out. The Sabbath is not just past, present, but it is our future. It's what we have to look forward to. 
Isaiah chapter 30 verse 15. For thus the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, In repentance and rest you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. And this next line is tragic. But you were not willing. And you said, No, we will flee on horses. Therefore you shall flee. And we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore those who pursue you shall be swift. One thousand will flee at the threat of one. And you will all flee at the threat of five. Until you are left as a flag on a mountaintop, as a signal on a hill. The Lord through Isaiah here gives a picture of desolation. Israel, you're going to run and run and run until you're desolate. You're going to jump on your horses and take off. You're going to seek all the help of all the men and all the wise, all the wisdom of people. You're going to run hard and you're going to ultimately come to a place where you are absolutely desolate. And I ask you historically, has there ever been a people more desolate than the Jewish people? A people who have gone through more in terms of terror and holocaust than the people of Israel. A desolate people like a flag on a mountaintop and a signal on a hill. But wait, God is not finished with them yet. Verse 18, he goes on and says, Therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. Oh, people in Zion, inhabitants in Jerusalem, you will weep no longer. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. And although the Lord has given you the bread of privation and the water of oppression, he, your Lord, will no longer hide himself, but your eyes will behold your teacher. What is Isaiah talking about here? He is talking about the coming millennial kingdom which the Bible guarantees to be a time of perfect peace under the authority and rule and instruction of Jesus Christ himself. A promise to Israel that you will weep no longer. To Jerusalem that you will no longer be trodden underfoot. To the people, to the Jewish people that I will return and I will set up the kingdom that I promised David and it will be perfect and it will be peaceful and my friends, it will be Sabbath. Sabbath. It will be Sabbath. Which is why I personally am convinced that in Genesis 2-3 God tells us that He first blessed the seventh day and sanctified it all the way back at the beginning because in the seven days of creation we have a picture of the history of the world and the seventh day, the seventh thousand year is coming and God is wooing us to that place of perfect rest. Our destination is Sabbath. Uh, but Rick, okay, wait a minute. I, I mean, I know there are different perspectives on this whole millennial, premillennial, amillennial, whoever millennial, whatever millennial. What, how do you know that, that this perspective is right? That there's actually going to be this thousand year reign of Christ, this millennial kingdom, this, this Sabbath, so you call it. Well, if you wonder if the Bible actually bears out this idea, it doesn't unless you're willing to consider some of the following verses passages like and I'm just going to read these out to you and I can give them to you later 2 Samuel verse 7 
Or Isaiah 2, 9, 11, 35, 55, and 65. Or how about Jeremiah 23, 31, 33. Or Ezekiel 36, 37, and chapters 40 through 48. Or Daniel chapter 2 and chapter 7. Or you get into the, to the minor so-called prophets. Amos chapter 9, Micah chapter 4, Zechariah chapter 14. Not to mention Matthew 24 and 25, 1 Corinthians 15, and Revelation 20. Just to mention a few. Do you get the point? Is there really a coming thousand year reign of Christ? Well, is there really a Bible? Because my friends, it is there. And every single one of those verses and plenty more you can see and look at and read for yourself. It's not a matter of opinion. It's a matter of biblical understanding. It's a matter of scripture. Oh, wait, wait. Okay, so Rick, you're taking the Bible literally? Yes. Yes, I am. Because I literally believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross. And I literally believe He rose from the dead. And I literally believe that I am going to a home with Him that He's preparing for me right now. Literally. Why would I look at the rest of Scripture and go, Oh, but not that. There is coming this millennial kingdom. Okay, but Rick, didn't you say a moment ago it was for the Jews? Oh yeah, I did. It is for Israel. But gang, if you're in Christ right now, you're going to be there for it. How does that work? I thought I was going to heaven. You are. But you're coming back. Revelation chapter 5 verse 9 says, You were slain, speaking of the Lamb, speaking of Jesus. And you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God. And they will reign upon the earth. And he's not talking about now, my friends, because I ain't raining. Getting rained on. But there is a promise. Sabbath is coming. When Jesus will take as a beautiful, amazing gift to the church, to those who God calls home, He will give the precious gift of being part of His government in the millennium. Isn't that cool? I have dibs on Hawaii, but we can talk about that later. So all that to say this, the Sabbath is not an archaic law and it's not a ceremonial observance of a past event. It is our liberation in Christ today. It is our destination in Christ to come. So what am I supposed to do with all of this information? Simple, one final verse, Isaiah 58, verse 13. If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and honor it, now listen to this, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure, and speaking your own word, then you will take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of heaven. Listen to the principle. Not just the day, although I would encourage you to consider making a day a week a day to the Lord. I think it would bless you and encourage you, but please don't make it a law. But it's not just about the day, it's about the principle behind the day again. If you will desist from your own ways, seek your own pleasure, speaking your own truth, desist, cease, take an intermission, stop. And delight in the Lord, I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. Keeping the Sabbath is not just about the day. It's a matter of the heart before the Lord. His heartbeat is redemption. My heartbeat is take me now. God wants us with Him. And Sabbath rest is about that sweet relationship that He wants to restore us to. 
And even for us as Christians, we lose sight of that relationship when we run and run and run. And until like Israel, we're like a flagstaff on a mountaintop. Wednesday night we were talking about some of these things and about how simple this all is. How it really is a matter of coming to a place with the Lord. And David came up to me afterwards. I hope I can share this. And, and we talked about it for a few minutes. I know it's too late. Once I say I hope I can share this, I'm already sharing it. So We talked for a few minutes. And then as, we, as I explained this, we were talking about the principle of Sabbath and restoration with the Father. He said this, and I love this. He said, so you're saying it's all about being with the Lord. And I said, yeah. And he said, is it really that simple? Yes, David. It is that simple. Let's pray. Holy Father, call us back to You. Draw us near to You. Show us, Father, that the most important one in our lives is You. And Jesus, I pray that You will become for us, corporately and individually, the Lord of the Sabbath. The Lord of our rest. The Lord of our redemption, our restoration. Lord of our forgiveness. Lord of all the good things that you have for us. And I long for the day when the plates will stop spinning. When the work will be done. When, when we can echo your words, Lord Jesus, on the cross, when you said, it is finished. When every day will be a Sabbath day unto the Lord. When every moment of every hour will be spent in sweet worship and fellowship with you, Father. When we can just walk again in the garden with Jesus. And so we pray that you would come quickly, Lord Jesus, and save us. And take us home. And as we pray, if there is anyone here who has not accepted Jesus as Lord, what He offers you is not law. What He offers you is not weight. It's not heaviness. He offers salvation. And if you want simply that rest, as David said, something that is so simple it's almost unbelievable, then all God wants out of you is that you would believe in Him. If you desire that today, pray this after me. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. And I'm tired of all the work. I confess to you that I need you. And I ask you to stop the perilous pace in my life. I believe, Jesus, that you are the Christ, Son of the living God. I believe that you did die on that cross for my sin. But that also you rose from the dead as you promised I can rise from the dead one day to be with you forever. So Lord, be my Lord and be my Savior. And I pray this in Jesus' name.